Welcome to the Refined Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris, and I'm just so glad you're here. This podcast is designed to dig below the surface. We're going to talk about everything from life to love and pretty much everything in between. So go ahead and leave that Superman cape of having it all together at the door because life is freaking messy. Don't I know it. Now, not only are we going to be real, we're going to have some fun too, because Lord knows I will find any excuse to bring up Beyonce or the latest episode of The Bachelorette. So if you're a new friend, welcome. Make sure you're subscribed to the Refined Collective podcast on iTunes. And if you're an old friend, welcome back. And would you do me a quick favor? Hop on over to iTunes, leave us a five-star rating and written review. I would be so grateful. Finally, if something stands out to you in this episode, go on and slide into my DMs on Instagram. I love hearing from you. It's at The Refined Woman. Now let's go ahead and get to it. Welcome to The Refined Collective Podcast. I am your host, Kat Harris. And today we have AD or Adam Lunkile Thomason on the podcast today. Adam is the author of Confessions of an Ex-Evangelical, Why I Left Christianity and Started Practicing Jesus. He is also the founder of I Am Red Rev and Red Rev Media, a film, public presentations, written article, and spoken word and more platform. Adam and his wife, Don Toya, who just started her own podcast, by the way, Something to Offer, which you should totally check out. She totally talks about Beyonce in her first episode, and, you know, I am here for that. They live in Atlanta with their three kids, and today what Adam and I spent a lot of time talking about is his latest book that is dropping this month, Permission to be Black, My Journey with Jay-Z and Jesus. And when I saw that he was dropping this book, I instantly, you know I did it, I slid into his DMs and asked if we could have a chat about Jay-Z and Jesus, because you know I love both of those people. I'm about 90% done with the book, and y'all, it is dog-eared, highlighted, and I seriously think every single human should read it. Today, Adam and I talked about everything from Blackness to healing past trauma to debunking unhealthy narratives from evangelical culture. So without further ado, here we go. I am just really grateful to be connecting with you. Oh, it's exciting. I'm humbled to be uh, on this podcast and provide any insight. And and thank you for uh, actually reading the book. Oh, my gosh. I felt like I was fangirling on you or fanguiding. (laughs) I don't know how to say it. I was like, oh, my gosh, I really want your book. I really want you on my podcast, but I really want to read your book before it. And it was like I was kind of asking you to send me one. (laughs) <laughs> I nah, also totally pre-ordered it as well on Amazon. So yeah. now nah, we, you know, we go, we go way back. So for me, yeah. it was nothing, and I, re- I respect your insight. So it was a joy to send it to you. Yeah, and I feel like I want to give people a little context to how we know each other mm-hmm. because <laughs> you have helped you helped me <laughs> a lot of years ago. So I didn't. We've actually never met in person. I don't mm-hmm. think. Nope. But. I was dating a douchebag, <laughs> and my friends were very concerned <laughs> this is about yes, like 10, 12 years ago, and yeah. one of my best friends is really good friends with you, mm-hmm. and she was basically trying to have an intervention. She mm-hmm. was reached out to you, Adam, my friend mm-hmm. Kat is dating this school. <laughs> we don't know why she's dating him. Please talk to her. And so you got on the phone with me. Yeah. And I remember you said, I'm not going to say his real name. Okay. So the name I'm about to say is a fake name. Okay. He said, Kat, I don't know Kyle, but I know Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> and you were like, this guy is not a good guy. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah. So do you remember much about that conversation? Yeah, I do. I do. I, I was, I was surprised pleasantly that you had the conversation so to me that showed a lot about what was quote-unquote in your soul i was like okay she gonna get a conversation she gonna get on the phone with me let's do it (laughs) (laughs) you know and i and i remember you know you telling me about air quotes kyle (laughs) and i just remember thinking like yo he doing all the cliches to string this girl along 
mm-hmm. you know. And I just remember, I was like, oh, this is an easy call. Now, mm-hmm. here's what I would say about you. And I remember talking to Lindsay. I said, Lindsay, if she has the strength and the courage to leave what she feels she's invested in, right? Because we invest ourselves into and give our currency, give ourselves. I said, if she has the strength to leave, which I believe she does. I said, it is going to send her on a trajectory of freedom that she has never seen. And so when you left, Kyle, <laughs> I was like, yo, what was in her was in her. It wasn't a lie. Mm-hmm. Right? No. Well, it definitely, my tumultuous up and down left and right relationship with this guy. And I mean, he, I just even remember on our first date, he was like, I'm not ready to be in a a relationship. Mm -hmm. I just got out of a relationship. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my young self, instead of hearing red flags was like, Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, he's so vulnerable Mm -hmm. and he'll change for me. And he'll, he'll, Mm -hmm. I'll get to work out all my daddy stuff on him. Mm -hmm. Cause you know, my daddy didn't feel like my daddy wanted me, but maybe Mm -hmm. this guy will, Mm -hmm. and maybe I can jump through enough hoops and, Mm -hmm. and, and he'll, he he will happily allow you to work out your issues on him. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I, I now I, have so much compassion on my younger self. And I also am grateful for the guy because mm-hmm. I'm like, man, God used him in my life to reveal mm-hmm. such blind spots, such hurt and pain that mm-hmm. I didn't even know was there nice. because it got to a point, I think by the time you and I were talking where I felt like a stranger to myself, mm-hmm. I was like, I'm so confident in, in my career and my relationships and what I'm doing, but I'm in this thing with this guy who mm-hmm. I know treats me poorly. Mm-hmm. And yet I am just like a moth to the flame. I felt yeah. so confused with how I was showing up. Mm. So it definitely did send me on one of the greatest healing journeys. So very That's grateful for, for his rejection and for <laughs> our conversation. Yeah. And here you are. And here we are. Here we are. Still single. <laughs> but at least I'm not in a toxic relationship. So. Uh, you're not. You're not. <laughs> so that's good. Um, okay. I want to talk about your book. Okay. One of the first things that stood out to me is you say, I'm writing this book to redefine blackness and establish a new black card, so to speak. Mm. Carriers of this card will no longer be ashamed of admitting that past traumas have hurt them. Mm. Trauma isn't just war flashbacks. It's having to raise your siblings because you were fatherless. Mm. It's having to raise yourself because your mother was dealing with her own crises. Mm. It's having a father who left you and your siblings at home while he roamed the streets looking for a fix. Mm. It's being neglected because you were raised by a single parent who dealt with their trauma in silence. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so I just even reading that, I think first what I want to ask you is um, throughout your life as a black man, Mm -hmm. do you feel like you had the permission to heal from the trauma of your past? No, I would say no, I did not. And I would I would answer that uh, tangibly from what was told to me. And I would say that historically for what I feel black people as a people group have experienced. Mm. Obviously, some people are going to have different. Um, experiences but historically I'll go historically first most of the black people you're going to see here come from descendants of slaves Mm -hmm. right so when you are brought forced into a situation separated from your people group children are sold off husbands can be castrated you know women are traumatized fondled all these things those are things you do to right? Animals, cattle. And a lot of time the animals were treated better than black slaves, male and female. So you don't get to express that you're hurt, right? You don't get to express that um, there's a pain or a joy or a longing, right? Or confusion. Why? Because you're treated as not human. Mm-hmm. So I, so I know from talking to uh, neuroscientists who are believers that those things get passed down at the cellular level. 
And that's another thing we have discounted, right? What gets passed down at a cellular level. So fast forward, my legacy is what, you know, my uh, uncle would have told to me after my mom was shot five times. It was told to myself, my sister, and my brother that, hey, y'all have to go to school the next day. And, we, and, and why? Because you don't put your life on hold because something bad happens to you, mm-hmm. right? So I think subconsciously he was just going off of what was taught to him that, you know, black folks, we don't have time to process our humanity. And there was a time legally where we couldn't. So. And then what, so when you refer to just this redefining blackness is, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that's part of what you just explained, but when you say, what does that mean to redefine blackness? What is your experience of blackness right now? And what, what does it mean for you to redefine that? And then what does it mean to establish a new black card? Yeah, that's a good question. So I would say it quick. If uh, you and those listening research the situation between Jalen Rose and Grant Hill, Jalen Rose, he grew up in Detroit, Michigan. Grant Hill, he grew up two-parent household, what we would call the suburbs, things like that. Jalen Rose didn't grow up with his father. All right. So Jalen Rose went to the University of Michigan. Uh, Grant Hill went to Duke. When they asked Jalen Rose in the past what he thought about Grant Hill, he's, he thought, he said, man, I thought they were sellouts, Uncle Tom's. Now, you got to understand <laughs> you're saying that they're sellouts and Uncle Tom's, like the black people that played at Duke. Because they had their fathers in their lives, right? (laughs) Because they went to a good school. They were raised and and taught. And Jalen Rose has since said, I said that, you know, I was angry because I didn't grow with my father. He had what I didn't have. But I remember Grant Hill wrote a response in the present to that. It's a good response. And in that, he was trying to define that blackness shouldn't be about trauma and not having your father not uh or missing meals and all these things he should said blackness should be about the struggle and the triumph to overcome what we had to go through in the past whether you have your father or not we're all in this painting the same picture you see what i'm saying and so i would say redefining it has to be based not on trauma but based on health and what God has declared us to be in this country. And I believe that's something we have yet to fully see because of the traumas. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, you know, you have people, and I mean, now there's some jokes in there when you talk about the black car. Hey man, have you seen Jews minister society? Do you know these lines? <laughs> right. How do you cook your fried chicken? You know, like <laughs> so, there's stuff like that. And people are like, man, I'm gonna take your black car. <laughs> but, uh, you know what I'm saying? And, and, you know, now they got the whole Karen potato salad. Like, hey, don't be putting raisins <laughs> in the potato salad, right? <laughs> so you got lighthearted things like that. But in general, blackness has been associated with enduring so much pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, even in, in your book, you talk about um, you constantly see this, the black experience play out through a weapon of endurance Mm -hmm. and even just hearing your own story and I'll let you unpack as much as you want to unpack here. Um, but it sounds like around 2017, you kind of had this breaking point that, you know, sort of led you on a, uh, led led you to therapy and led you kind of down your own process of dealing with your past and trauma and unpack for me a little bit, this idea of like the, the weapon that you had was endurance. Like, what do you mean when you say that? Yeah. Yeah. So, again, talking historically, then my people, um, the generation like my mom, my grandparents, I would say it's, it's that, it's that uh, weapon to deaden, which is not healthy, but it is what it is. Deaden your emotions, deaden the pain, and just f- physically get through each day. Even though each day is traumatic, it becomes so normal, you go... I just have to endure. It's not about enjoyment. It's not about celebration. It's not about good or bad. It's not about highs or lows. Get through the day. I liken it in a lighthearted sense (laughs) to when, you know, you're trying to do a health kick and somebody says, hey, look, you got to drink these 
kale, celery, spinach, <laughs> juices, right? And, and nothing about that. I know some people are like, woo, that's my jam for the for the normal people on this, on this podcast. <laughs> Most of us would taste that and be like, yo, it's taking everything in me to make it through this drink, right? So you got to kill your taste buds, kill like flavor profile. And then once you come off of it, you go, oh, this is how a good healthy smoothie should take. You taste, you can use dates, right? You can use apples, yada, yada, yada. Um, but I would say that's been the superpower of black folks. Again, come, majority coming into this country is that we've had to endure slavery, endure Jim Crow, endure redlining, endure civil rights. And even now it's still endure you know, the, the inequality when it comes to, you know, shootings and lack of justice, like it's, it's still that indoor traffic stops and things like that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. yeah, I just watched this video on Instagram this week and this guy was actually, my aunt was like, that's the narrator from veggie tales. Oh, for real? <laughs> that like, is him. <laughs> I know what you're talking about. <laughs> Bob or something. I don't know. But my, I was like, I knew his voice sounded familiar, <laughs> but he has this video unpacking, you know, uh, with white, basically white people versus black people. And just this, the idea from largely the Republican side that says, you know, make America great. Like, yeah. so what, when white people look in the rear view mirror of their historic experience in America, why would something like make America great feel wonderful and redemptive? Well, it's because yeah. we look back in the rear view mirror and we see families and going to ch like church, prayer and school, these things that feel you know, uniting and family oriented and high value. And, and then you, he says, but then you look at the black experience in America and, and why many black people have, I just literally hit my shoe rack with my elbow because I'm recording <laughs> in my closet. <laughs> um, but he says the, the black experience when, why that does not resonate is because when a black person looks in the rearview mirror, they see slavery. They see Jim Crow. They yeah. see police That's brutality. True. And so to say, let's make America great again. Let's, it's like, what are you talking about? Like right. that we have totally different experiences. And until we can acknowledge that our, we may have grown up in the same place, but mm -hmm. our, you can be in the same family. I mm -hmm. feel like before we were recording, we were both kind of talking about, you know, I'm one of six kids, you have siblings, and you mm -hmm. can be in the same house going through many of the same experiences, but your trauma is different, mm -hmm. the emotions surrounding, mm -hmm. the circumstances are different. And so That's good. I, th I think until we take time to say it's possible that another human in this country could have a very opposite experience of mine and where mine was good, beautiful, whole, whatever, however you want to describe it, this yeah. other person could have a completely opposite experience. Yeah, that's true. So, Not as good. Yeah. Good insight. All right, friends, it is February, which means a lot of things. One of those things meaning that it is Black History Month. And one of the things I want to do this month to honor Black History Month is spend time talking about organizations and companies that I love that are run and founded by men and women of color. This week, I want to talk with you about Elevate New York. Elevate New York is a nonprofit with a mission to build long-term, life-changing relationships with urban youth, equipping them to thrive and contribute into their community. The team at Elevate New York serves and empowers youth from the South Bronx in New York. The kids of South Bronx are the most underserved and under-resourced congressional district in the nation. Just let that sink in for a minute. Elevate has been building relationships with schools in the South Bronx, and they go into the schools and do mentorship, tutoring, leadership development, writing exercises, and group discussions to build integrity and character and leadership qualities that will create and foster successful human beings. Elevate New York students develop teamwork and leadership skills year-round by participating in outdoor activities after school, 
on weekends, and during the summer as well. These programs allow students to build confidence in their own abilities by exploring experiences outside their comfort zone. I love Elevate New York. I support them. They are an incredible organization. I would love for you to check them out this month, this week, this very day. So go to elevatenewyork.org to figure out how you can get involved or financially support what the team in South Bronx is up to. I would love to hear about your kind of what led you to therapy. I feel like you kind of talk about this breaking point in the book. And, you know, I think what stood out to me in that section is you talk about, you know, this idea of endurance, but then you even, as you're entering into marriage with the woman that you really (laughs) love and you're still married to, you guys have kids together, but like your (laughs) attitude of approaching the marriage was even this endurance. And Mm -hmm. so can you kind of talk about, what led uh, any specific event that led you to therapy and then your experience going through therapy and Don Furious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. yeah, that's good. Um, yeah. So I say in the book um, for those listening that my endurance mechanism was so steeped in me on my wedding day. <laughs> I'm thinking, man, this woman's lovely. This day is great. But I have to endure this for the next 40 or 50 years. Don't do anything stupid. (laughs) Then I'll get to heaven and I can celebrate. Right. Mm. (laughs) And it's that mentality of, yes, marriage for many and, and on paper for me is a joyful thing. But the one thing you always see is people cheat. So I don't want to be the cheater. So I have to endure not being the cheater. You see what I'm saying? Like, that's just on your conscience. It's another thing to endure. So I wasn't even thinking like, oh my gosh, you know, the, the, the relationship of marriage itself, it was like, just don't cheat. Don't do nothing stupid. Um, but what, you know, what was crazy. I realized why that became such a weight and a strain for me in my life. I went to many countries like Palestine, Ghana, Nicaragua, when I was single, did a lot of stuff. Uh, you go from high school, four years, you know, college, five years. Uh, you know, if you do seminary, other stuff, you live in this city, that city. But what do what do those have in common? Four to five years, you move. Three years, you move. You can bounce around. And it was the first time where I go, oh, I can't, I can't bounce around. I mean, I could, but I, in my head, I go, I can't bounce around from this marriage to another marriage to another marriage. I'm in this thing. And I've never given myself to something that I had to, quote unquote, stay in for the long haul. Right. So even my endurance in Detroit. Yeah, I I endured that for 17 years, but we moved around a lot. We went to different schools. You see what I'm saying? And so marriage was the only thing that grounded me to say, Adam, you can't endure this thing. Either this thing is going to be about an imperfect joy you should have. Or this mentality of endurance is going to crush you. And so 10 years in, it started to crush me because I was trying to just endure. I didn't have joy. There was no high highs. There were no low lows. It was just nothing. You know, and so in my head, I just was like, what is going on? You know, I was at a, a real low, a real low moment. And my brother and a friend of mine just said, like, hey, man, have you have you thought about going to talk to somebody? And, you know, that's like a middle finger to the <laughs> to, to black <laughs> folk. Go talk, man, I ain't crazy. You know, like, <laughs> that's the stigma. Well, I ain't crazy, you know. Um, and, you know, they would break it down just saying, like, look, if you if you had a, you know, high cholesterol, or blood pressure, or stroke, yada, yada, insert thing, nobody would frown upon you for going to see the physician and maintaining physical and internal health. So why we had a stigma when it comes to mental health and trauma Mm. and that I was like, yo, that makes sense. And so Mm. when I got back from Nepal, which is interesting, I'm in Nepal supposed to be telling these stories and, you know, talking about the Lord. And uh, (laughs) I'm just like, yo, I don't even know if I want to be here on this earth, you know, (laughs) Wow, wow. (laughs) you know, that's how crazy it was. And so I, I got back and, and, I would say God was faithful. That was 2017. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
when you talk about you know living the, the living the, this life of endurance, I think yeah. of um, like the picture I get is being in an ocean treading water. Mm-hmm. That's you know, picture. and I remember um, my first year in New York. Mm-hmm. I made, I think I made, I think I made like $13,000 that year. Come on now. <laughs> it was like, that was like seven and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. And I was sharing a bed with my best friend and my family was like, I knew it. She's a lesbian. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just so broke. I'm so, I'm broke. so broke. I'm, I'm fasting out Very here. <laughs> Not for and spiritual reasons. I know. This is, just, this is what fucking broke in my 20s looks like. And <laughs> I remember paying my rent one day and mm. I was like, oh, I literally out loud was like, thank God I survived another month. Wow, yeah, yeah, and yeah. I just remember God being, I just felt this like nudge of man, cat, like you, you're a survivor, mm. you know? And I have prided myself mm. over what I've survived, mm-hmm. you mm. know, broken mm. home, bro- multiple broken marriages, you know, mm. dysfunction affairs, drug addictions, like all this stuff, um, poverty. And I have felt I've prided myself in being this overcomer. And then I am at this place in my life where all I know how to do is survive. Yeah. Mm. And surviving created me some really good results. Mm-hmm. I got to, I started my own business. That mm-hmm. business eventually became successful. It took mm-hmm. a lot of years for that. But mm-hmm. I just, I just feel like God was like, what if you didn't have to be treading water in the ocean? Come on now. That's good. I like where what, you're going. What if your feet could be on solid ground? Mm. What if God's life for me isn't that I just survived another mm. month in New York? But that, what if I could thrive? Like I could, I had never even thought about the idea of mm-hmm. what could an abundant life look like mm-hmm. because I was so busy surviving it. Right. And yeah. I share that I, I don't want to compare my experience at all to yours because I feel like I have no idea what it's like to be a black man in America. Um, but just that idea of enduring and like yeah. just putting up with your life. Yeah, no, struggle is, struggle is mutual, though, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, I like that. You nailing yeah. it. I mean, in my, in my head, I go, I like that. <laughs> you, you talk it. I'll play yeah. the organ. If that's the black church, I'll play the organ. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. And so another thing that came up for me while you're sharing that is, uh, I don't know if you've heard this idea of, like, what if, if you resist it, it persists. And so... Mm. Uh, or, like, okay. basically, like, recreating our worst nightmare. Yep. So... For instance, one of my friends married this guy and his biggest fear was that he would cheat on his wife Okay, because his dad left and cheated mm-hmm. on his wife. Mm-hmm. And then lo and behold, guess what he did? He, uh, he became the thing that he hated. Uh, and so I just like in hearing your story and like living from like such a place of fear, do you yeah. think that that happens? Do you think we recreate our worst nightmares by living in that place of endurance or living in that place of like, ah, just got to make it through this day. So I don't do that thing. Yeah. yeah. And then you end up doing the thing. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that you bring that up. I do believe things can be buried into our subconscious. Um, like the Hebraic mystics talk, talk, they have this thing called um, Kabbalah and Kabbalah mm-hmm. just deals with the subconscious, but essentially some Hebraic uh, mystics believed that if you talk kids like about Leviticus and the Shema, like hero Israel, hero, our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Like you taught that to kids from day one, that would get so much into their subconscious that when they get older, they would never break away from it. Mm. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so I, I believe on the negative end, though, you can fixate on things not to do so much, it gets into your subconscious, hmm. right? So this is, and <laughs> this may open a can of worms. It feel free to double click as my brother was saying <laughs> what I'm about to say. But I tell guys, so let me say this. This has never been a, a struggle or issue for me, but I, as a former pastor, I, I've had to sit with a lot of guys on what I'm about to talk about. Mm-hmm. But I, I would tell them, I say, look, Getting free from pornography is not going to happen 
by focusing on getting free from pornography. Mm -hmm. That's your problem. You're trying to make it through a day. Like, man, I don't want to click on that site. I don't want to look at no, you know, boobs or no butt, right? It's just like your mind is so fixed. I just don't do that, you know? So you, you're white knuckling, but you don't have freedom. And just because you didn't do it, that don't mean you have freedom. That just means you're dry, right? It doesn't mean you're free. And so they would say, well, what's the recourse? I said, the recourse is you have to fall in love with the thing that is most beautiful, Right. And so mysteriously, people will say, like, fall in love with the Lord, which sure. But I would say you have to fall in love w- with the Lord's heart for his creation. So if you're single, what is his heart for women? What is his heart for your wife? What is his heart for your daughters? And many of you don't know that because you drink the non explicit standard of the world. That is easy for you to move into the explicit. Do hmm. you see what I'm saying? So what I, I'll break it down to you this like this easy. For me, my mind can easily acknowledge, hey, that is an intelligent, witty, beautiful woman who has a lot going on. And God, you're a great creator. One day, if that woman is supposed to be with another guy, praise the Lord. Period. <laughs> but that's God's standard, right? In in the garden, he created all these things and he called them good. I don't think a healthy understanding of woman is putting your head down and, well, I can't talk to you because, you know, I'm trying to be faithful to my wife. That's, mm. that's disingenuous. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? You know, that's, that's like a, that's like a chef being in another restaurant and it smells good. He's like, I don't smell nothing coming from the kitchen. Okay. Now you're lying. Though. <laughs> now you're just lying. <laughs> yes. Well, and you know, I can say as a single woman, I have felt so dismissed and mm-hmm. invisible to yeah. married men, married mm-hmm. uh, men, married to friends of mine. And I remember mm-hmm. one of my most distinct memories when I first got into the fashion industry, mm-hmm. I was at New York fashion week for the first time with my boss. And we went to this, big old fancy party at the plaza mm. one night. And at the time, this, it feels like a long time ago. It's almost 15 years ago. Now I was on one of two women in the photographer's pit. Mm. The only other woman was in her sixties. I was, you know, 24 years old, Come wearing on. bright red lipstick and high hey. heels, you know, hey. bright colors. <laughs> I was like, I'm here guys. <laughs> and we went to this party and I was like, great. I get to finally network with all of these other photographers. I'm so excited to get to chat with this guy. He's been in the industry for 30 years and group after group after group of guy went up to, it was, Hey, I'm Kat, you know, good seeing you in the, in the pit today. What have you got going on? And it was almost unanimous. It would be like, Oh, well, my wife, Mm, Oh, my wife is over there. And I'm like, listen, no one's trying to be a homewrecker here. I'm just trying to say hi and and network. And it was so interesting because I feel like, you know, the church is supposed to be so (laughs) countercultural and it's just not because I, I, it's like, man, I experienced that in in my career. And then I go to the church and I'm like, I, I went to this church when I first moved to New York and it was like the lead pastor wouldn't even make eye contact mm, with me. Mm. And I'm like, do you struggle that much yeah. staying faithful to your wife that you cannot say hello yeah. to a single woman in your congregation? Like, I would say yes. It's so dismissive to half of your congregation. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is. It's, and it's a red flag. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Like, there, there is, how would I say it? Like, there is just certain things as a guy that I know you have to be doing if you can't handle women just in a foundational level. I'm just talking about one-on-one. If you can't look a woman in the eye, if you can't compliment her and she know, she can discern your compliment is of encouragement, not of mm-hmm. sexual and sensual orientation. Women can discern the difference. They can oh, yeah. sniff it out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you can't be around <clears throat> different versions of women, right? You know, from body types and personalities and treat them all the same and women sign off like, yep, he's consistent. Mm-hmm. Like if you can't do those things, I go, 
you have a you have a a private lens that you're nursing wow. and this is why you're uncomfortable in these situations mm-hmm. right so for me i would say i was very fortunate you know when my when my dad was in the home he left when i was 12 he he never was into like you know i don't had a story where you know i found these magazines and yada yada so those cravings never got quote unquote on me or exposed to me when i was young and then uh, being in the fashion industry, I was fortunate to learn the stories of a lot of the women and models I was around. Mm. And that just gave me, a, <clears throat> that gave me a different um, perspective of just seeing God's creation as people. And I'll be honest with you, I don't think most guys have had that perspective, seeing behind the veil. And that's why the objectification in, how would I say it, um, delusional fantasy exists, right? And so, you know, though I, though, and me and my wife argue about this, but I, I think women from an artistic standpoint, I'm an artist, women from an artistic standpoint have better lines on their bodies than men, yeah. right? So I would say that. But for me, I go, God created that. Yeah. So there's nothing sinful about that. It's the distortion that you keep feasting on that is allowing you not to see it for the natural thing it is. Mm. Well, even just in in art, the you're constantly looking for the S curve. Hey, you Gary, know, the, the S curve. Look at the S curve. <laughs> the S curve is a, appealing to the eye. Double. You know, it's, and so it's why you see you see paintings you don't necessarily know why do i like this painting Mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. because they've used the s curve which is appealing to the eye and balanced with with like triangles and diamonds or you know throughout the painting it's why in you know i'm a photographer so people will resonate with an image and not necessarily know oh it's because they took the rule of thirds into consideration Mm -hmm. but they just really like the photo there's Mm -hmm. the 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 female body is an S curve. It like we S-curve. are more curvy than men. And there's even, I was just in Colorado with some friends recently and we we're in this restaurant and there's all these like beautiful kind of like old school pinup pictures of, oh, of women. And all the guys were like, Oh, I'm not looking. And I was like, look <laughs> at this photo. Like this is a beautiful photo. And here's why it's beautiful. Like, and it's like next. And then I was like, see why this, this picture of this like gaunt man is not as attractive to <laughs> either of our eyes. I'm like explaining to them the S curve. I'm like, it does have to be sexual. We can just say that like the female body is like a beautiful thing to look at. And it doesn't, yeah. we don't have to sexualize it. No, we can just don't. acknowledge Um, but to your point of what you're talking about, um, just addiction and pornography, something Mm. that my pastor said, Oh, oh, I can't remember forever ago, John Mm. Tyson. And and it wasn't in regards to porn, but he said, you know, there's two types of people. Mm. He said, there's a person uh, you're standing on the street and someone says, Hey, do you want a cigarette? Mm. And person A goes, Oh man, no, I'm trying to quit. And Mm. the, you know, person B says, oh, no, I'm not a smoker. Mm. And both people are quitting smoking. Mm. But the person A who's like, oh, I'm really trying not to quit. Like that person is the white knuckle person who is essentially like really white knuckling, even though internally he's not internally motivated to make real transformation in his life. He's being externally motivated by whether it's, this is bad for me or I shouldn't Mm, do it or judge me versus the other person is like, actually I'm not a smoker. So Mm. I'm changing the internal dialogue and speaking identity over myself that that's not who I am. Yeah. And until we, until we're internally motivated then we're not going to be free from our addictions or the shoulds and the shouldn'ts. Yeah, that's good. So, I like it. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the trauma. I want to talk about the trauma and emotions because a lot of what you're, as you're kind of like redefining blackness and mm-hmm. you going to therapy and you having this life-changing experience, yeah. something that came up for me as you were talking about is, okay, 
trauma, emotions. You talk a lot about the book, The Body Keeps the Score. Yeah. I freaking love that book. Yes, great. And um, part of my own healing journey from my my past has been giving myself the permission to feel and to acknowledge emotions, mm-hmm. pain, and anger. And man, yeah. you want to know an emotion that makes Christian people feel uncomfortable, especially <laughs> coming from a woman? I'm like, it's anger. People don't <laughs> like when you feel angry. Um, but anyways, like the more I've just kind of processed stuff, the more time and time I look back and realize I'd be in a situation where I would disregard an emotion yeah. or intuition because I thought I must be crazy mm-hmm. or because I was taught from evangelical culture. My heart is deceitful above all things right. from Jeremiah 17. So this guy isn't a bad dude. I'm just being judgmental. But I look back and see that my emotions and my intuition were right every Mm -hmm. time. Not Mm -hmm. to mention that trauma stays trapped in our bodies until we give ourselves the permission to feel them. Mm -hmm. Then we start feeling them. And then people are saying, you're wrong for feeling angry. Mm -hmm. You're wrong for feeling this. Or when are you going to start doing that? Or you shouldn't trust that trauma response because your heart is deceitful. So what do you think about that idea you know, it's in scripture. The heart is deceitful of all things. So what do you what do you do with that? What do you do well, with that and trauma and emotion? Yeah, yeah. That's that's good. Well, you know what's funny about that is that people use that so on a context. So in the context, you know, if you read the full context of Jeremiah, he's pr- prophetically talking about how God is gonna write something new upon their hearts. Mm-hmm. Right. And he talks about how their hearts will no longer be stone, but a heart of flesh to make them come alive. Right. So fast forward, Paul picks up in Romans eight and he says this old nature void of the Holy Spirit can only be succumbed to the wills of the flesh, the desires of the heart and the flesh. But he says, when you have the Holy Spirit in concert with your spirit, Now, guess what happens to the flesh? It can now be channeled in the right direction for God because you're no longer living in this old nature, but you're pointing your limbs and your body Mm. in this new direction. So what I say to people is that passage is talking about motive in Jeremiah 17. It's not talking about how God created us with emotions, Mm. right? And so one's motive like say for instance somebody can say i think somebody can say like yo my motive to post this picture of me let's just say digging a well (laughs) in said country right my motive is to let everybody know that this country and this work needs to happen it could be Mm -hmm. and your motive could could be to get likes Mm -hmm. so what jeremiah says is don't be arrogant enough to think that you have the God, the Godness to know that your motives are always pure. That's more about humility. Mm. Do you see what I'm saying? And that's why it's it's more of like, there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors, right? Mm. It doesn't say that God doesn't give us revelation and things like that. It's just saying, have the humility to say like, you know, hey, Kat, I think this is my motive. What do you think? Yeah. And allow Kat to speak into it. Mm-hmm. Right. But when we talk about trauma, I tell people emotions are the taste buds of the soul. So you That's can't good. You, you, that one. <laughs> yeah, I say the emotions are the taste buds of the soul. And what happens is we got a lot of people thinking they have to live bland lives. I thought that as well. But they they like, yo, this hurts. Well, but I got to kill that taste bud. Yeah. You know. Mm. That's so good. Emotions are the taste buds of the soul. Dang. Okay, so (laughs) why then do you think it's preached so often not to trust our emotions? Yeah. Why are we a generation? If that verse is about what you're saying it's about, (laughs) why is it being used to quiet our intuition or emotion or our past. Yeah. So I'll say something. I'll say something good that you and I will connect with a teacher that you and I sat under. So Tommy Nelson back in his clear days. Uh-oh. You know, 
<laughs> oh dear. <laughs> back back in his clear days, right? <laughs> uh, a lot has happened. So, mm-hmm. uh, but I remember going through his program in 2003. So that's 18 years ago, y'all. And he said, um, he said a lot of pastors teach their people rules because they feel people would rather have rules than to trust the Holy Spirit and think and discern. Wow. And he said, rules are a low benchmark. Wow. Very low benchmark. Mm-hmm. And I still believe that today. People come to me for advice and like, yo, what should, they always, and, and you will laugh when I say this, when people come like, hey, what should I do? Yes. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> I was like, you want me, you want me to tell you what to do? Like literally what to do? Like I go, I'll tell you my perspective, my thoughts, my discernment. But I go at the end of the day, you got a relationship with the Lord. And I don't think yeah. the Lord is vindictive to the journey you're taking that he's going to be like, oh, you made that decision. Zappo. You know, like, but that's how a lot of people feel. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like I, I mean, I definitely most of my life have been a very black and white thinker. I love algebra. I'm like, Y equals MX plus B. Yes. Come on. on. Give me the numbers. Give me the formula. We got the perfect answer. (laughs) And I feel like in another life, I would definitely be a high school algebra two teacher. Are you a one on the Enneagram? Are you a one? Okay. So I thought I was a one for a long time, but I, I was convinced I was, but every time I take that damn test, I I (laughs) test a three. (laughs) I test a three. Every time. (laughs) <laughs> but funny. I resonate with a lot of the perfectionism and setting uh, the bar of, of yeah. Enneagram. What, what are you a one? I'm a one and ones and threes get along that you oh, know. Well, about. you know what? I didn't, but <laughs> you know, I feel like there's a kindredness going on here. <laughs> Whether it's taking a walk around your neighborhood, running errands or venturing out on your own, you always want to feel safe. With Birdie, you can keep doing what you love with added peace of mind. Birdie is a personal safety alarm that is easy to carry and simple to use. When activated, the alarm will emit a loud siren and flashing light to help deter an attack. Birdie is no danger to you, so you can feel total confidence using it. And it comes in fun colors too, so you'll actually want to carry it. Buy your Birdie today for a safer tomorrow. She's Birdie is offering our listeners 15% off your first purchase when you go to she'sbirdie.com slash refined. That's she's Birdie spelled S-H-E-S-B-I-R-D-I-E dot com slash refined for 15% off. Okay. And so I feel like I lived from a place for a very long time where it was like, so what is right? What is wrong? You you. know, are you Calvinist? Are you Minion? Do you believe, like, is it right or is it wrong or is it good or is it evil? Do you believe in God or you don't? And I feel like the last, you know, 10 years for me have really been experiencing that God lives in the gray. Like, like there are black and white things about life and about who God is, but Mm. being human is stepping into the grayness of life. And And I feel like I get, I mean, I get questions every day. I got, I've, I've gotten about probably 10 DMs about the Netflix show Bridgerton. And it's like, oh. I'm a Christian. Should I watch Bridgerton? It has sex scenes. And I'm like, I can't answer that for you. Bro. It's what not about I do? what should you do. Like, <laughs> so first of all, when you say should, you're dismissing the actual desire of your heart. Mm. Do you want to watch it? Yes or no. Mm. Now, mm. is that going to be a win for you? I mean, mm. I, I don't know that there's a prescription for all people at all time on whether or not watching a sex scene in a movie is mm. going to be a win for them. Mm. And so I, you know, I think, I think that we have done a real disservice to each other by, yeah. you know, being in a, we are in this, you know, a social media soundbite culture. We, we want someone's soundbite to cover all of our questions or to yeah. be a hall pass to do something that we really just want to do as mm. opposed to, like the one of my first book that they gave me in Bible school was called Your Mind Matters by John Stott. Okay. It's all about God gave you a mind. Yeah. So don't take your pastor's word for it. Do the work. Yeah. yeah. You seek God. You yeah. ask questions. Yeah. You go yeah. to the scriptures. You 
like God speaks to people. That means God speaks to me. So God, what are you saying to me? And is it okay if what you're saying to me might be a little bit different than what you're saying to Adam? Yeah. And and I think that if I feel like it's very preachable on a Sunday to teach black and white rules, like kind of what you're saying, Tommy Nelson is saying, you know, that's the easy way to live. It's much harder to kind of sit with, man, how do I navigate this situation? You know, what's, my response right now. You know, uh, uh, I honestly believe this for people in relationships. I think they think it's easier to have a relationship with the rules. Now, mm. people say, ah, man, I, I actually think they think it's easier because it goes, I want to please you and a rule will help me know if I'm pleasing you. Right. And a rule will keep me from doing something right or wrong. There we go. What should I do? and experiencing shame. But what is a sign of a healthy relationship? A sign of a healthy relationship says, it doesn't matter what you do. As long as I'm with you, I'm going to hold your hand. And no matter where we go, I'm with you. I don't care where the journey takes us. So if you make a decision you're not proud about, I'm still going to hold your hand because we're in this together. Do you see what I'm saying? So it's about the journey not the destination of right and wrong daily. And a lot of people live life thinking that it's about that destination of right or wrong. Yeah. I remember being in a, uh, I was in a emotional intelligence workshop and mm-hmm. the leader, the coach was giving feedback to the CEO of a company and the CEO was standing up and this leader was just ripping him a new one. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, the guy that's being ripped apart is right. I don't remember what the thing was, but I was like, I cannot believe that that leader is telling him that. And the situ- I cannot remember what the situation was for the life of me, but the leader goes, how's being right working for you? Mm. It's like, you have millions of dollars, but your wife doesn't like you. Mm-hmm. Your kids don't want to be around you. You don't mm-hmm. have any friends. How is mm-hmm. being right working for you? Right. That's and- good. That was like a a shifting moment for me because I was like, but he's right. <laughs> like one plus one equals two. He's right. Right, right. And just that was just such like a kind of like, I feel like my brain like had a little bit of a stroke. Like, wow, what do we do? Like, what's the price that I pay for being right? Right. Yeah. What, what's the price I pay for wanting to have the last word? Mm. Um, and what am I missing out on by yeah. wanting to do things quote unquote, right. Yeah. What relationships am I missing out on? That's so, good. Yeah. Um, I have one more question for you and we, we might be opening up another can of worms. So I just want to see on, how you're doing time wise. I'm good. <laughs> good. Okay. So your first book is, um, about being an ex evangelical. I can't even say it. An ex evangelical. <laughs> like yeah. my, my brain won't even let me say yeah, it. Your body got and- trauma. <laughs> I got that trauma. <laughs> you talk about how you left Christianity to find Jesus. Yeah. And I just, I know we talked, we talked a lot before the phone call started. I'm, mm-hmm. I've been in a place personally where I've just been struggling with mm-hmm. the American evangelical response to Black Lives Matter, to mm-hmm. the politics of the last year or so, and and even just sexual scandal after sexual scandal. I'm like, what the hell? Like, mm-hmm. how many times do we have to see the the blueprint we have for church isn't working? Yeah, like, yeah. we're praying for revival. Revival's not going to be able to come because the blueprint we have, we have a house of cards, and so. <laughs> I just feel like I'm in a place where I'm like, I, I do love God. I do love Jesus, but I feel like I do not know where I fit within American church culture. Yeah. Evangelical culture feels more and more painful to be around. And mm-hmm. so I just wanted to hear what your experience was like being a part of evangelical church. And then why did you leave and where are you at now? Yeah. Uh, the experience was definitely... So my, I'll give you my window so people will really <laughs> get a <laughs> grasp of it. Because I would say the things that they quote unquote talk about now as being like, yo, open or, you know, trying to be progressive. 
wasn't even a case back when I was in evangelicalism, right? So I got into evangelical subculture at 98, uh, 98, 99, and I was in there 17 years, right? So roughly 2014, um, 2015 is when I started making my exit. Um, and during that time, I mean, it was, it was very culturally, uh, emasculating, hmm. uh, a lot of forced assimilation and manipulation. Um, you know, I have, uh, <laughs> I remember being on staff at churches and they're telling me, you know, now <laughs> this is me wearing the polo uh, collar shirts and the khaki pants. And so I'm already got this stuff on that. What I'm about to tell you, <laughs> you know, I'm six, five, um, you know, play basketball, yada. So they're like, man, you know, could you, could you do something to make yourself not be so, uh, resolute or stately? I was like, what? what? shrink and become a five five white guy i mean what do you i was like what do you want i don't what do you and i was like yeah man um man we love how you pray we love how you teach but just some people are saying they're kind of intimidated to come pray with you i said why they just like they just said your appearance like mm. you know so so is there something you could do i go what you you want me to put on like fake glasses or man we don't know it's just just something like these are real conversations yeah. y'all not making this up like continuous conversations you know wow. uh like in in the church right so there are times where you know i'm shaving my face clean shaving wow. wearing fake glasses changing my clothes i'm sitting like literally you you talk about a a, a trauma you, you go into the office going to church you go into your closet you go you know well if that is that nice enough of a mm. color right you know i i can't grow my hair out because that's gonna people don't understand cultural expression here and and here's the thing rather than teach people god's expression through other cultures they thought assimilation was the best thing for their congregation wow so in the end they they miss out on expanding their congregation's mind to see the expression of god that that's what well, that's what's sad about it. A lot of people are just mad, like man, you making people assimilate, and and that's you know uh, suppression, and and all those things are true. But at the end of it, people miss God put mm. in a culture, and mm. that's what's sad. You know. Do you think when uh, you're getting the feedback of oh, you know, you're just intimidating? Is do you think that there's sub this there's subtext in there of can you just be a little less black? I would, I, I would, I would say so. Yeah. Um, I would say there's an element uh, of that because they're, they, they develop a culture in such a way to where it, it has screened out or filtered out anything. And so when you have a, a black man or black woman who I've seen have the same run-ins, in the situations, they don't they don't know <laughs> what it means to consider that part of their humanity, and and that's the sad thing. Like, I believe blackness is an expression of God, but it's an expression of humanity, right? And that's why I love it. Just like you know, if I go to Nicaragua, like, no, teach me. I want, I want to know this expression, Greece. I want to know this expression, Palestine. I want to know you all's expression to shun. It is, I, I would say is to shun hmm. God, right? He did. He didn't bind up himself in any one culture. Yeah. You know, so to, to close the loop on the question. So that was my experience, 17 years. Um, and then there's a lot of other stuff I saw too, mishandling of money, mishandling of women, mm-hmm. uh, mishandling of power, <laughs> you know, uh, double talk in the scriptures. Like, Hey, you preach this one thing, but you don't look like you believe in the power when it comes to the other thing. Mm-hmm. And so I just, to sum it up, I was just like, man, I just don't believe this, this subculture, this culture, this, whatever you want to call it. I don't think it is God's way, though it's everywhere. I don't think it's God's way. And I go, it doesn't have any power. 
<laughs> it, it literally has any, it doesn't have any power. And what I mean by that is you and I right now with our friends and resources, we could start an American church and it'd be thriving and we wouldn't have to say one prayer. <laughs> Right. We could come up with a tagline, colors, make it sexy, look cool. And we can make that thing hot and smoking and not say one prayer. And we can make people think it is a thing of God. Mm -hmm. That's what I was seeing. Yeah. And I go, I could mentally convince people to not do certain things. It don't mean it's the Holy Spirit. I do believe in the Holy Spirit, but it doesn't mean that. Like I could philosophically convince somebody, uh, hey man, that's not good for you. That's blah, blah. But I could tag God's name to it. And so I was just like, yo, it's no power here. And I said, I need to go find who Jesus is, like Yeshua of the Bible. Like, and that's when I went out, went over to Iraq 2016, visit one of my friends. And I went over there and I saw some, you know, powerful stuff. And so what did you see? So I saw what real sacrifice was. So at that time, 2016, that's when ISIS was at its height. And one of my friends, um, uh, Jeremy Courtney, who runs the organization called Preemptive Love Coalition, he uh, he was like, yeah, man, come see me. And so I went over there and it, it's it, imagine seeing people our age who were thriving, let's just say, uh, the refined collective (laughs) (laughs) on Friday, Uh right? And then you meet them on Sunday and they have nothing. Wow. And you go, what happened? Bombs dropped, people came through with guns, killed family members, like just go down the list. And you're looking at them, we go, we're the same age, Uh (laughs) right? And now you're displaced. So let's just say, um, you know, you and I would would, would have been in, in the United States. Now we're like trying to find our way in Mexico or Venezuela. Right. And we don't speak Spanish. Mm-hmm. So you got that level. And so I'm seeing sacrifice, like what true sacrifice is, what true. No, I'm willing to put myself in harm's way for these people, people willing to trust God to provide when they have literally nothing. And then the Lord comes through. Like, it it was just marvelous to say like, yo, y'all have nothing. It's you're living in a concrete space, open air, it's cold, it's raining. And you're saying, and they're saying, inshallah, if the Lord wills, things will change. Wow. And I was just like, yo, this is crazy. You know, and, and them saying, like, even with the bombs, even being on the run, we believe that God allowed this so we can meet Jeremy and Jessica because we're going to be in a different place than we would have ever been. We're going to know the truth of God, the truth of sacrifice, the mm-hmm. truth of the scriptures, because we met them who really are following and practicing the things of Jesus. This is wow. not a Jesus of the West. These are their words. This is not a Jesus of the West. This is mm-hmm. real Jesus. And they would say, don't call yourselves them. <laughs> you you have something different. Wow. And, and so I saw that and people said, what did you see? And my answer has always been, I saw the kingdom. And that changed me. Wow. Yeah. And so what's life post evangelical uh, evangelicalism looked like for you? I mean, yeah. Where are you at now? Yeah. So I connect with people, you know, I do a thing called Torah club and Torah just essentially means, you know, it's the first five books of the Bible. Tanakh is what we call the old Testament. And so what we believe is that the uh, old Testament is not discontinued because Yeshua came. It is reinterpreted through Yeshua's ministry. Mm. So a lot of people think it's discontinued. And so what that means is they have this thing called Zedekah, charity, acts of righteousness, right? And so in uh, the Beatitudes, you know, in the, I would call it the Gentile or let's just say the West translation, ESV, it may say, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall see God. 
Well, you would think that he's saying, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for a spiritual righteousness or a cleansing. Well, that's not the word there. The word for righteousness is zedekah. So if I read it to you now and say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst to do acts of charity, they will see God. Oh, wow. That's yeah. really different. <laughs> <laughs> very, very different. Right. So you got you, you to answer your question. You're just surrounded by people who hunger and thirst to bless people, to show mercy. And this is why Yeshua would say, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. You go therefore and do likewise. Now, I'm describing to you something that you and I have never seen. When people are off, man, we string them up. Remember, it's right or wrong. You went you went six over the speed limit. Get that, get that fool a ticket. Now, mm-hmm. I do believe in kingdom justice and some people, y'all need love through a jail cell. I believe that. I will write you letters while you do your time. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, because I always say this: like if you see the thief on the cross, that Yeshua said you will be be with me in paradise. He could have taken that thief off the cross. He could have said, "All right, you don't get to get crucified because you believe in me." He said, "Nah, you got to serve this sentence out." Right, and so, so sometimes. You don't get absolved of your earthly responsibility because you have a belief in Yeshua. Wow. That's that's a misconception, mm-hmm. right? So day to day, I'll be honest with you, we have a group of people like, you know, we love on each other. Um, we, you know, talk through the scriptures, but we also got our eyes peeled outside of our houses and our homes. Yes, yeah, COVID, but we're like, hey, Lord, where's the Zedekiah? Where are the acts of righteousness, the charity that we can be? bestow upon people and it, and, and it and it grows and it has its lens but that's the media answer mm, that's good that's well man thank you so much for just being willing to go there and yeah. um i want to ask you about 100 more questions but <laughs> <laughs> it's been over an hour so yeah. i'm gonna respect your time but okay. um thank you so much for just sharing your heart and just teaching us and I'm so excited about your book, Permission to be Black, My Journey with Jay-Z and Jesus. We didn't even talk about Jay-Z once. <laughs> that feels like a tragedy. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I talked about Beyonce. <laughs> but, uh, we did not talk about Jay-Z. Shout out to Jay-Z. Okay, we know. love you, Jay. We love you. <laughs> Thank you about you. <laughs> All right. Well, how can people get their hands on your book and follow along with what you're up to? Yeah, so, um, you know, it's going to come out Amazon February 23rd. My socials are R-E-D, Red, Rev, R-E-V is in victory. And so at Red Rev on social platforms. And then there is a website for the book, permission to be black.com. And so, yeah, just dropping things there. Awesome. You know, yeah. Awesome. Cool. Well, thanks, Adam. We'll chat soon. I right, appreciate you. God gives us permission to be vulnerable, permission to be whole, permission to be Black. Adam's words throughout his book and throughout our conversation just struck me in the gut because they just feel and they are just dripping with so much truth. Adam is such a straight shooter and I am just so grateful that men like Adam are walking this earth, pursuing wholeness and truth and saying, just because this is how it's been, doesn't mean it's how it has to be. Healing is the way. It is the pathway to freedom. I believe that AD is speaking a message that is healing and validating to the Black experience and also enlightening for a white person like myself. I mean, I read the book and I learned so much. And as you could just hear the wisdom soaking Adam's words, I hope that you will stop right now Go to Amazon or wherever you buy books and buy his book, Permission to be Black. Adam, thank you. Thank you for being here with us today. And until next time, bye for now.